Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Doug Barnard. General Counsel, Senior Vice President and Secretary at CF Industries. And Doug has been there for almost 19 years now. Doug has had a stellar career, including time as a partner at Kirkland Ellis, but we haven't had enough time to go through that career. We really focus on his time in the last 19 years at CF Industries and what he learned during that time. A couple of key themes that come out for me. He tells a story which I think is one of the best stories I've heard about delivering value to the business, where the Office of the General Counsel, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, how can you be a great business partner and deliver true business value or value to the business? Doug talks about an example, and I won't give it away, which I think is one of the best examples I've heard on this podcast. In fact, heard it on any occasion also touched upon the importance of having a culture in your organisation where you're putting promising people in different roles and giving them an opportunity to learn and um, develop in those different roles and seeing what produces. The CF Industries clearly has that culture. And I have to say, promoting, elevating and giving promising people those kind of opportunities beyond an immediate skill set I reckon that's a superpower for an organisation if you can develop that kind of culture. Um, So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Doug Barnard, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Jim, thank you for inviting me, and I'm looking forward to it as well. Yep. Now, Doug, you're currently the SVP, GC and Company Secretary at CF Industries. I think you've had a career of about 19 years there. Before that, you were a partner at Kirkland Ellis. But let's jump into the early days of your career at CF Industries, because you shared a story with me before this call, which I'm, I'm super keen to share with the rest of the audience. Uh, you're, you're right. I've been with uh, CF Industries as its general counsel since uh, the beginning of 2004, coming up quickly on 19 years. Yep. And uh, it was a very different company uh, when I joined compared to what it is today. At that time, it uh, was an agricultural co-op making fertilizer for farmers, yep. and it was owned by its late uh, eight largest customers. It had lost a great deal of money for five years in a row. It wow. was on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, in fact, the uh, new CEO advised me uh, that I should uh, cool my heels at home uh, for about a month to make sure it didn't go bankrupt because he didn't think there was any point in me coming on board if it faced bankruptcy. Wow. I, I was going to say, I'm not sure what the pitch was um, to come and join at the time, but, but so far it's not winning me over. Uh, 
I had an opportunity to follow my former uh, boss uh, to Yahoo, where he became chairman of the board. Um, but my wife, a Chicago native, uh, wanted nothing to do with Silicon Valley. Oh. And so this was, you know, any port in a storm between jobs. And I didn't imagine I'd be there very long. Um, yep. Here I am 19 years later. Yeah. Uh, so about a year after I joined, um, against all odds, um, I helped take uh, CF Industries public in an IPO. So, 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 so take me through that. How did that happen? Uh, our industry is incredibly uh, cyclical and volatile. And so it has boom years and bust years. Yeah. And uh, I came to realize in my first year that uh, the worst was over and that the future might be quite promising. Yep. And it was on that basis we were able to float uh, the company in an IPO. But now, now you, you shared with me, and you're probably coming to it anyway, but you shared with me a comparison with Google, which kind of blew my socks off. Can you share that? Yeah. I know you're probably coming to it, but it, but it did really kind of um, make me sit up and take notice when you shared that, uh, that, that comparison. Uh, so coincidentally, uh, in the same time frame, uh, Google had its IPO yep. and having had to pass on an opportunity to join its competitor, Yahoo, I, I found yeah. that really interesting. Yep. So we and Google went public at approximately the same time in 2005. Um, and over the next 10 years, uh, believe it or not, our stock uh, outperformed Google stock over uh, a 10 year uh, period. Okay, so let's just stop there. Next, when you're putting together, not that you may need to, Doug, when you're putting together the CV for the next position, just have that line. I don't yeah. think you need <laughs> anything else. So, uh, <laughs> you can drop the microphone after that one. I, I, um, I've, I've gone from thinking my wife owed me one, uh, making <laughs> me join this money-losing co-op when I could have gone to Yahoo. Yep. thinking that was the best you know uh, career move ever yeah. so, so a couple of things firstly um the ipo wasn't always on the cards in fact when we spoke before you told me it was really um driven by something that you had seen T tell me about how yeah tell me about that because i think that's a really interesting story um i i'd been uh, general counsel twice before uh, in each of those two cases, um, uh, worked on uh, potential IPOs that didn't happen. Yep. And so I thought maybe the third time might be the charm, and, and it was. Because we'd lost so much money for uh, five years, um, the owners had uh, no interest uh, in, in keeping the company. Uh, it never even occurred to them it might uh, be a successful IPO candidate. Yeah. Um, so the owners um, instructed uh, the new CEO and he instructed me to uh, spend all of our time trying to find someone, anyone who would buy CF Industries. But uh, it was in that period when we were trying unsuccessfully to find a buyer uh, that um, I saw market conditions starting to improve um, markedly and thought, uh, since no one will buy us and things are looking much better, maybe we could 
take the company public. So I, I broached that subject with the CEO at the time, now retired, and he laughed. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, why not uh, pursue it in parallel with a sale that doesn't seem to be going anywhere? And, and I said, I could, for example, um, ask our outside law firm Skadden to start drafting an IPO prospectus. And he said, absolutely not. And I wow. said, well, yeah. said, I, I, you know, I have the expertise to do that myself, uh, free of charge. How about that? And he forbade me to uh, spend any of my time doing it in the office. And I said, well, you know, I, I'd really like to pursue this. Uh, you know, I'll do it on my own time, evenings and weekends. And he said, well, what you do in your own time is none of my business, but I never want to catch you working on it in the office. <laughs> so we're about, you know, five weeks between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas one year. I Every evening, every weekend, I put an IPO prospectus together. Um, and then uh, when the owners uh, were complaining that we were unsuccessful in finding a buyer, the CEO uh, gave the owners um, the IPO prospectus I had drafted. They said, why not? Nothing to lose. And, and that's how it came about. So, so what I love about that story is we, we hear a theme so much on this podcast about um, the Office of the General Counsel, about being, being good strategic business partners, about adding business value. That's one of the best stories that I have heard about being a strategic partner and demonstrating real value to the business. Doug, what, what could you see that nobody else could see? Um, I suppose I, I had a you know, familiarity with uh, floating companies. Yep. I had tried it twice before unsuccessfully. But I also um, have an MBA from uh, University of Chicago booth. And so I, I probably had a better sense of uh, the dynamics of yep. our uh, very cyclical industry. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, a sense of the, uh, call it leverage, not in the, you know, sense of debt, but uh, more yep. operating leverage. Yep. I, I saw the potential for wild swings from boom to bust. And, we seem to be moving from bust into boom. Yeah. And um, and kudos to you for kind of pulling all of that experience and education together for, and for backing yourself um, because clearly that was transformational um, to the company. Not only to do, not only get an IPO, but to be able to now quote that statistic about it performing better than Google in its first 10 years. What's the learning? Let, uh, yeah, tell me about the learning that's come out of that example for you that you'd want to share um, with others. It's a combination of personal initiative, but no one person can pull off something that big yep. uh, themselves. Um, and so um, in that case and in another takeover battle case uh, we may turn to, um, yep. um, it's about having an idea, the, you know, the initiative to pursue it yourself, but most importantly, talking you know, uh, 
any number of, uh, you know, powerful colleagues into uh, getting on board and, yep. and overcoming, you know, internal and external opposition until it finally happens. Yeah. The, the power of persuasion, of strong communication skills, of being able to align stakeholders, all with potentially varying interests. Um, I talk about, and I, and I talked to you know, those earlier in their careers, how important it is to invest in yourself to develop those kind of skill sets, communication skill sets, dealing with difficult conversations. For example, I've had a recent example with my own youngest daughter about the importance um, of being able to deal with difficult conversations. So anyway, that's just a bit of a tangent, but all of those communication skills, um, th that's what it sounds like, Doug, to me, that um, might be a superpower <laughs> for you. Well, I, I don't know if it's, you know, a superpower uh, or, you know, or unique to me, but... Uh, yeah. It isn't enough to have good ideas. It isn't Correct. enough to be persuasive. Uh, it, it, to make big things happen, you need to see opportunities and you need to be able to convince others to join you in making them a reality. And no doubt, most importantly, to be able to, to execute. Great to have the ideas, great to have the communication, and then pulling the team together to be able to execute. Um, Funny, I read something quite recently, which is, you know, strategies are great, but without execution, uh, it doesn't mean anything. So um, you, you highlighted, I was going to ask for an, a, a couple of other kind of highlights in the CF industry as part of your career. I think you just touched on one um, when you mentioned uh, a takeover battle. Talk about that for a little. A few years after we went public, the uh, financial crisis, the global financial crisis hit. And in uh, 2000, in the latter half of 2008, our stock went down 70% in a yep. few months. Um, and so did the stocks of our competitors, public companies in the same yep. industry. So in January of um, 2009, uh, we launched a hostile takeover bid for um, a nearly identical twin, another U.S.-based public company. Yep. And one month later, um, a larger competitor uh, in Canada launched a hostile takeover bid for ourselves. Oh. So we were suddenly playing offense and defense. And, defense. and caught in the middle. Yep. Yeah, in the middle of a financial crisis where yep. no one could raise money to buy anything big. Uh, but you could issue stock. Yeah. And so we spent uh, 15 months in that uh, uh, three-way takeover battle. And in the last few months, it became cross-border and, and four-way when a European competitor entered uh, the battle. And, and over the 15 months, um, because the Canadian company coming after us was bigger than either of the U.S. companies and the European company uh, large as well. Uh, we were um, very much the underdog. Uh, it seemed a foregone conclusion that the uh, Canadian company would buy us and that the European company would buy the other U.S. company. We yep. were the small fish. 
Um, but I came up with an idea um, after the European con company uh, entered the fray uh, that I thought would let us uh, come out on top. And um, I had to um, convince a host of people uh, to, to make that move. Um, our investment bankers, um, our CEO, uh, our board of directors. Yep. I think, you know, everyone was just tired of the fight and, you know, ready for us to be taken over and, and for the other U.S. company to be taken over, and that would be that. You're lying on the canvas. CF Industries is on the canvas. It's, be, it's, it's received the body blows. It's looking just to, uh, to surrender. What's the idea that you've come up with? It, it was very much a, a legal um, idea. Yeah. We'd been increasing our offers for the U.S. company we wanted to buy, yeah. uh, but their board, uh, not wanting to be taken over, just kept saying, not enough, no. not enough. Yep. Yep. Um, and that was their right un yep. under you know, a U.S. law. Um, but um, then we launched a uh, proxy contest to replace some of the directors on the U.S. company's board, and we won. Yep. Um, and, uh, and so uh, their shareholders had spoken. They liked our latest offer enough to put some new directors on the board. Uh, to our astonishment, uh, we raised our offer one more time, now with uh, three directors on their board. To our astonishment, uh, the board unanimously turned down our uh, latest offer. Even the ones uh, we'd uh, got ah. to the board. <laughs> So, I thought I thought you were about to tell me that the three persuaded uh, the three directors managed to persuade the balance that the offer was a good one. So you had an unanimous acceptance, but you're telling me you had a unanimous rejection. Yeah, and that was initially a mystery to us, but uh, the mystery was soon revealed uh, when they announced a friendly deal to be taken over by the European company. Uh, halfway around the world, it would let them all keep their jobs and, and now as a subsidiary, unlike ourselves. Yeah. Um, uh, but that, that changed everything from a legal perspective at their board. Uh, that turned it into an absolute auction. So my idea was to put in um, a higher offer because the board now had placed itself in a position where it had to take the highest offer. Correct, yep. Um, it turned out the European bidder only had one bid in them. Oh. Uh, and, and so uh, the board had no choice but to accept our yep. highest offer. Yep. That made us, uh, on a combined basis, too big for the Canadian company that had wanted to acquire us, so they bowed out. And, and so we wound up acquiring the U.S. company we wanted and, and remained independent. Fantastic. And your learnings, Doug, from that one, what are the two, you know, one or two key things you take away from that transaction? We had negotiated too well with our investment bankers, uh, putting a ceiling on the fee they could get. Their fee went up, up, up. The more you know, uh, money was paid yep. for a transaction, but it had a ceiling. And um, at about the 10-month yep. mark, uh, they'd reached the ceiling. So they'd put in the good fight, 
but um, they would receive nothing additional for months of further battle. Um, so I recognized that. I called our investment banker and said, you know, well, um, if we if this is the winning move, uh, you'll make a great deal of money on the financing for the acquisition of the U.S. company. Yep. And that persuaded him to say, yeah, you know, I, I'm ready to, to I'm willing going. to keep fighting for a few more months against that possibility. Yep. Um, and um, another is that um, I needed to marshal support uh, from a colleague who, you know, went on to become our current CEO uh, from uh, the CFO at the time. I, I never could have convinced our CEO to uh, make that move, but by bringing uh, those colleagues on board, the three of yep. us were able to pursue yep. it. And so, uh, you know, that's an example of, um, you know, having a good idea, but marshalling yeah. uh, necessary yeah. support for it to move forward. Doug, you did share one more story, which was a much more challenging story uh, about, um, about your time at CF Industries. Can you share what, what do you think has been the most challenging incident? Uh, this is a leading question for those of you who are, uh, are familiar with uh, examination in chief. There have been a number of challenges over 19 years. Um, I'll start with one, and if we have time, uh, turn yep. to another. For uh, about the first uh, eight or so of my 19 years, uh, believe it or not, I was um, CF's only in-house attorney. And um, we were, you know, doing big takeover battles uh, for 15 months. Uh, uh, we had a major lawsuit. Uh, and, uh, and so um, in the peak year, um, 2015, uh, we were spending so much money on Skadden Arps. We were their largest client in the Chicago office where we're based in one of their top 10 worldwide. Now, now Doug, that's a leaderboard you typically don't want to be on. No, it's, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think the world of, of Skadden and, you know, yeah. with revenue like that, uh, for a lot of other uh, reasons, they think the world of us, but um, it's atypical. Yep. And, and so I set about uh, building a legal department uh, from scratch. And I, I like some, you know, I, the idea I had in mind was uh, akin to the Navy SEALs to, to create a, a, yeah. an elite group of in-house lawyers. So I, I brought in uh, a total of uh, six attorneys, um, all of whom uh, had spent on average 10 years with either Skadden or Kirkland Ellis, uh, where, where I was a partner years yeah. earlier. Um, and uh, what a powerhouse. Um, uh, every single hire, um, recruiting is, you know, is an inexact art. Uh, yeah. But in this case, um, every single one um, is still here doing a fantastic job. Wow. Um, our uh, spending on outside counsel is, um, 20% of what it was in that peak year. Uh, it's a combination of this incredible team uh, doing excellent work um, in-house rather than outside at Kirkland or Skadden, uh, and, and you know, in a reduction in, uh, in overall activity, of course. And, and can I ask you just there, so recruiting clearly a high-performing team, um, 
they're all still with you. What is the advice that you would give to other GCs about retention, which is which is a top of mind issue um, in this just continuous war for talent? What are you doing, Doug, that's keeping top talent um, that perhaps other GCs are struggling with? Um, yeah, what 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 what's the, what's the advice? Uh, you know, it, it's multifaceted, and it's by no means uh, all my doing. Um, the company has a, has an incredibly good culture, so that you know, not just in the legal department, but across the board, it's the kind of company, you know, people want to join, and not many people would ever think of leaving. They like the culture, they like their colleagues, and yeah. and, and that's that's a big factor in the legal department for sure. Um, but we also um, give uh, lawyers opportunities to do non-legal things elsewhere in the business. For example, um, the first uh, person I hired, uh, turning one lawyer into two, uh, when I was building the legal department for four years while he remained you know, working full time in the legal department, he co-led uh, a four or five billion dollar chemical plant construction project. And he was the continuity over that period. There were one or two or three um, business heads of the construction project. Uh, he was the co-head over the entire period. And this is someone who had absolutely no prior experience with construction, uh, let alone multi-billion dollar chemical plant construction projects. Incidentally, in my case, um, when we lost our chief information officer, while remaining general counsel throughout, I led our SAP implementation where I had no prior experience. And, and um, uh, two other people in the legal department uh, have starring roles in our uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Uh, and we're, you know, we're very, our entire strategy as a company is focused on uh, reducing our carbon footprint. And um, several of the lawyers are uh, heavily involved in those efforts to uh, uh, eliminate our um, greenhouse gas emissions. So it, it's just, uh, it's a myriad of factors. Uh. Often we look for someone who's had the experience, done that kind of work, performed that kind of role. And we, we look for a person who we can say has that experience before putting them in a role. You haven't done that with your team. What is it that's given you the comfort that you don't need a person or they do not have to have played that role before, done that, that kind of work? It's in our culture to let uh, promising people do new things to get more yep. experience. Yep. Our current CEO, um, because he showed the potential to be CEO someday, was put in charge of all of our manufacturing for several years with no yep. prior experience in manufacturing. Uh, our current CFO, with no prior experience uh, in manufacturing, was similarly put in charge of all of our manufacturing for a few years before he became CFO. So it's just in the DNA of yeah. the company uh, to, um, I suppose, in some sense, prioritize the development of individuals 
over um, finding someone tailor-made for an important role. I reckon that's a competitive edge. I have to say, I love listening or hearing those kind of stories um, because that alone, I think, would account for a big part of the reason or the rationale as to why you've been able to keep, retain such high-performing, talented uh, people because we all want to grow. We all want to learn. We all, despite it being uncomfortable, um, we all get the best out of ourselves when we're putting those kind of positions um, uh, when someone else you know, believes we can do something more than we can. Um, so that's a fantastic culture. I, I just met, briefly mentioned litigation. We make agricultural fertilizers. Uh, one of uh, those is called ammonium nitrate. Uh, it, um, it's also used to make explosives as well as, as a fertilizer. Um, so um, there was a major explosion in West Texas, in a, a town actually called West Texas, uh, some years ago. Um, the ex our, we'd sold our product to a customer. The customer had resold it to an agricultural distributor in West Texas uh, where it was stored in a shed. The shed caught fire and U.S. government has determined it was arson. But in any event, the product exploded. And the explosion was so incredible, it registered on seismographs in California. Um, and President Obama mentioned the explosion and the fatalities in his State of the Union address uh, some months later. Uh, he and uh, Michelle Obama uh, came to the funerals in, in West Texas. Uh, so it was, as you can imagine, major litigation um, since we were the manufacturer of the product in question. Uh, so one of our you know, uh, Navy SEAL team uh, lawyers, a uh, litigator from Kirkland, um, did a brilliant job uh, defending that over the ensuing years. Uh, dealing with the insurance companies um, who yeah. um, so we, we just have had uh, a lot of rewarding and important work uh, for our attorneys yeah and, and that time must have been an incredibly challenging time for the entire company legal team and yeah. the entire company what, what what any particular things or lessons that stand out learnings that stand out for you, for you from um, what would have been, as I say, an incredibly difficult period. You know, after 19 years, I'm uh, a little over a year away from retirement. Um, I just turned 64. Um, and, and, you know, it starts to sink in that um, um, the lasting contributions uh, are, are what you, you know, leave behind, not what you've done personally. Yeah. Uh, so I... I'm, um, I'm intent on making sure that the, the legal department deals um, with my retirement uh, as the non-event it will be, yeah. and that um, it, it remains stable and performs you know, better than it you know, ever did under my leadership. Uh, you know, as I'm getting into my last year, you start to think about you know, what's important and what isn't. It's it's funny, Doug. I 
I personally have had the same revelation over the, the, the most recent part of my career too, that in the early years, it very much feels like it's about me, you, know, you what you perform, how you perform in your career, how you um, progress and so on. But in the latter years, you realise it's actually not. <laughs> you realise the things you remember is not the your own personal achievements, other than to the extent that it, it has created something. It has created a team, an environment, something that lasts, something that impacts on the lives and the profession of others. That's what we end up remembering. Um, it takes us a while to come to that realisation. Um, but uh, your, your words are, you know, ring very true, certainly, certainly in my personal. It's been a great uh, 19 years. I, I, if, if we have another minute or two, I'll just mention my first general counsel role. Sure, sure. I was, um, I was uh, in a corporate parent in Detroit and helped them sell about 40% of uh, the company uh, to private equity, to uh, Citicorp private equity. And um, at that time, I wasn't even reporting directly to the general counsel. I was uh, one level down from that. Uh, so I was surprised and delighted when the chief operating officer of the parent um, agreed with Citicorp, he would uh, go run the company we had just sold Citicorp. And he invited me to follow him down there um, to be his general counsel. Yeah. Uh, and um, that was quite a challenge. It was a huge uh, multinational manufacturing company with almost 35,000 employees, uh, many of them throughout Asia. And, and again, I was the only lawyer uh, for a while and, and having to learn the job of general counsel on the fly. Um, and so that, those were formative years for me. Yeah. And, and because um, I feel I would have benefited a lot from um, you know, some coaching, some training, I've um, over the last few months begun volunteering with an organization where sitting general counsels um, mentor people they've identified to be their successors. Of course, it's mix and match. Uh, yep. You can mentor your own successor back home. So in this case, uh, you know, we're mentoring each other's successors. Fantastic. And that's uh, rewarding for sure. And, and so Doug, the question I often ask is, um, as I round out the interview, advice that you'd give your 25-year-old self Learn what you can at that age, because um, the the training I got at Kirkland and Ellis was was invaluable later in life. Um, I'd also stress the importance of continual uh, learning. Yep. Uh, for example, I went back ten years after law school and got my MBA, um, and, and I you know stayed current in a lot of areas to this day. Um, I. I but I also think, uh, you know, it, it may come easier to litigators than um, other lawyers. Uh, by that, I mean the art of persuasion. Yep. You yep. have to find a way to tailor your points to your audience. And, and, and you have to uh, 
um, um, synthesize things down to simple, compelling arguments. And, and you need to know um, all the, the landscape of important people around you. Uh, so so yeah. when it comes time to persuade people and get things done, um, you know um, the people uh, quite well. You can you know put yourself in their shoes. That that you know that's important day in and day out as general counsel, understanding you know what business problem they're trying to solve. Uh, but it's particularly important uh, when it's your own initiative, and, and you need yep. their support. Learning what you can, being, I talk about being a learning machine in the early years, not being so worried about job progression, but just being worried about developing those learning skills, the curiosity, because the earlier you start like that, I think it's like the magic of compound interest. The late, the, as you progress in your career, those early learnings get to compound and the earlier you start, on that um, and you let that curiosity for learning really build in those muscles the more the benefit down the track as i say like compounding interest art of persuasion we've talked about that before the networking one thing i've always said i wish i'd just been better um, in those early years but and the walking around in someone else's shoes being able to actually put yourself in someone else's shoes properly um, whether there's someone you're trying to persuade, whether it's the other side in a negotiation, um, whether it's someone you're just trying to help out less fortunate that, than you, that you might have a disagreement, whatever it might be, just that skill, it's all part of the empathy package, I think. What, what advice now that you've got adult children in raising kids, tell me about the advice that you would give to those let's say, earlier in their career, younger families, um, what advice would you give to them about raising children? Well, it's, uh, it's harder now than it was, you know, when I yeah. was a child and, and a young adult. Uh, uh, I think um, there's real merit in letting, uh, you know, um, children... Uh, certainly teenagers and young adults have a lot of autonomy. Yeah. The opposite of being a helicopter parent. Yeah. Um, because you benefit a lot uh, from what you learn through autonomy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I say it's harder now because um, it's so competitive to advance from, you know, from preschool yeah. to yeah. grade school, you know, into college, into law school into, you know, a good law firm. Yeah. You, it, you, it's, it's all too easy to fall off that track. And if you're competing against uh, other people your age, whose highly talented parents are yeah. teaming with them for success, uh, uh, it's, it's hard to compete uh, autonomously. It is. Uh, it's funny. There's not too many benefits of getting a little bit more, getting it a little older. One is having actually now got adult children thinking, boy, I'm so glad I'm not, I don't have to go through that again. Um, and look, and the other thing I would say to those out there that are in that position right now, that there is not a single path and the path that you talk with, you know, that highly competitive and 
falling off that particular track, that is not the end of the world um, for your children. Um, and in fact, it might be the right thing. <laughs> um, it might end up being the right thing. So anyway, Doug, let me wrap it up. I've just had an absolute blast speaking to you. you you've had some incredible career highlights. Thank you so much for sharing those highlights and your experience with the audience. Um, uh, thanks so much for joining me, Doug. Thank you, Jim. I had a great time. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.